0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. But I do want to talk about the who, what, where, and why of solitude, if you will. Uh, who, who's willing to say that you like a little bit of solitude? And bonus points if you're an extrovert and you're willing to say that you like a little bit of solitude, right? That's good. That's good. That's healthy. Uh, You know, I think in our culture, there's a bit of a fear of solitude because we have not a bit, but a huge amount of a fear of loneliness, right? And when we think solitude, we think loneliness and we connect the two. Uh, But I don't think that's a correct way to view it. So one article I read said, we live in a culture where we often confuse being alone for loneliness. Just pause on that. Being alone isn't the same as loneliness. What is solitude? Here's the what. Solitude is time spent alone, but that doesn't mean that it's lonely. If we can remove the stigma of being alone and learn to appreciate time by ourselves, we could stop being, seeing being alone as a negative thing and fully embrace the benefits of healthy solitude. So here's the who of solitude. It's you and you and you and you and you and me, right? It's all of us. Every single one of us is who this is for. Uh, In his book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says this as he starts off talking about solitude. Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. And he says that because if we can learn to utilize solitude in a good, healthy way as a follower of Jesus, then we begin to be more and more aware that we're not actually alone in those moments. We've become much more aware of the presence of Jesus in that space. So, we're in this second week of a series called Simplifying to Create Space for the Holy Spirit, like Sarah said. And we're talking about four practices that can bring a, a lot of kind of transformation to our life if we give them space. And that's scripture, solitude, silence, and simplicity. Uh, and I did want to, I was. I kept going back and forth, and I thought about this, and I was like, you know, I think I want to give a little asterisk before I jump into talking about solitude too much. Um, I'm not going to say anybody's ever taken my words and used them as an excuse to get away with things, but maybe once or twice people have taken my words and used them as an excuse to get away with things. So let me just say this, solitude is not an excuse to be selfish, to avoid to disappear or to disconnect okay this is not an excuse to do any of those things that's not jesus's space that we're going into so if you were starting to think yes i have the perfect excuse for disappearing for 36 hours starting tomorrow Say inside your heart, I will not use Stephen's words as an excuse. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Uh, So let me throw out a much different uh, statement to you and see how it hits. I am defined by my relationship with Jesus, not my relationship with everything else. What I'm not saying, that your other relationships, your other habits, your practices, that they don't matter and that you could treat others any way that you want. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that your relationship with Jesus affects every single part of your life and that Jesus sees every part of you and that he finds tremendous value in you. The only one who defines your relationship with Jesus is not you. It's Jesus. Jesus. And when Jesus looks at your relationship, he uses words like life-giving and loved and precious. He sees it clearly through his eyes. And so if that's how he's viewing your relationship with him, maybe you'll be willing, if you can go back to the other the slide right before, Dave, and we'll just say this together. Say, "I am defined with Jesus, not my relationship with everything else. Okay, let it sit. We'll see how you feel in a couple of minutes. Solitude is a practice that gives us space to begin to live out that truth because Jesus is calling us from loneliness to solitude because in the space of solitude, we are able to begin to learn that we are defined by our relationship with Jesus not our relationship with anything else let me pray for us and then we're going to jump in i just want to take a moment and just kind of pause let ourselves center invite the holy spirit to come and to speak to us so we just say come holy spirit we release the distractions and we just take the time to invite you to come and to speak to our hearts Jesus, I just pray that this morning that the things that we've allowed ourselves to be defined by will start to fall away. The patterns of behavior, the relationships, good, bad, otherwise. The things that we've seen, the lenses that we've seen ourselves through, I pray that they will start to fade away And that you'll give us grace to be able to see ourselves through yours and only your eyes. That we could see people as as we truly are. Give us that grace this morning. Pray that you'll come and speak to our hearts. Let us walk away from here changed because we know you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up to it, or your phone, or you can read the screen. Your choice. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 10. I love that I'm starting with this first verse, by the way. I think it's a pretty amazing way to start. Um, so So John was beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus what had happened. And as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Uh, So, a slight amount of background, since I completely cut it out of that verse, uh, is that John is John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. Uh, he was... Other than Jesus's mother, Mary, it seems like he was probably his closest relative. Uh, they, were, they, they did ministry together in the weird ways that they were doing ministry. Uh, their followers kind of went from John to Jesus. There was a lot of interconnectedness that was going on here uh, with these guys, and John also was a very outspoken person about everything that he valued and believed, and that did get him in a kind of precarious situation which led to his beheading, um, which we're not going to go into for right now, but you you heard what happened to him. Uh, so Jesus hears that his closest relative other than his mother has died in a gruesome way. And what does he want to do? He wants some space right? That's what you would do too. I would do it. Like, give me some room. I don't want people around me right now. I want to process this. And so he goes away. He tries to get away. And what happens? Everybody and their mom follows him. Every single person. The crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. And then let's keep going. It says, Jesus saw the crowd, the huge crowd, as he stepped from the boat, And he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And that evening, the disciples came and said, Hey, we're really far away from any food. It's getting late. So send them away so they can walk another three hours and buy food for themselves. And Jesus says, That's not necessary. You can do it. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, bring them here. And then he he told the people to sit down. And he took the food and he looked at, lifted it up towards heaven and he blessed it. And then breaking the loaves, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. So that crowd is probably more like 15 to 20,000 huge. I mean, huge in our time. I would guess in some ways it was like almost unheard of in their time for that many people to gather. They didn't have uh, stadiums where you could go listen to Taylor Swift at. Like this was not a normal thing that would have happened during their time. Huge crowd. They follow him to the middle of nowhere where there's no food. And Jesus shows this amazing compassion-filled energy as he cares for all of these people in very personal ways, he takes time to pray for all the sick and to heal them, to teach them, and then to feed them. All when he had just heard that his closest relative had died in a gruesome way. And so Jesus is at the end of the day This story is told in the Gospel of John, and in John, he says that at this point, the people started to get some ideas in their head, and they decided that they wanted to make him king. Actually, it says that they wanted to force him to become king. So all of a sudden, things kind of start to turn. They decide they want to eat like this every day. I don't know. You know, like they got a little bit messed up. And essentially, Jesus' popularity has become a problem. And so what does Jesus do when his popularity becomes a problem? This is what it says, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Jesus insisted that they get into the boat. Have you ever insisted that somebody does something, somebody close to you? Married couples. Have you ever insisted that your spouse gets away from you? Have you ever been like, no, Really, I insist that you take the kids to their favorite ice cream place that's 30 minutes away right now. I don't care how much you spend, spend all the money. I insist that you go and you do it. Or they get home after a long week at work and you go, You know, you've been talking about going and seeing your parents. I insist. (laughs) that you take the weekend and you take the kids and go see your parents. I'll do all the yard work. I'll clean the whole house. I'll do everything. I insist that you take that time for you. Maybe you have a roommate that doesn't give you any space. And so you take $50 and you hand it to him and you say, I insist that you go see a movie and get dinner and treat somebody else and take as long as you want. I insist that you get out of here. Have you ever insisted that somebody gives you a little bit of room? That's what Jesus is doing right here. The word that's used here means to compel. And it means that the disciples did not want to leave. They had no interest in leaving him at that point. They wanted to stay and debrief. They wanted to chat about how he just made so much food appear out of nowhere they wanted to talk about this this kind of weird decision the crowd was making to make him into king they didn't want to go and jesus said no i insist that you get in the boat and that you leave me alone because jesus is selfish right But that's what you would tell yourself if you did the same thing. Because that's what we do in our culture. In that same sort of situation, you would say how selfish that you were be. I mean, he's leaving his disciples when they're all confused and unsure of what to do next. He's leaving a crowd that has really got the whole story wrong. And they need correction, Right? They need to be told who Jesus actually is. For Jesus to leave in that moment? Massively selfish. He's making it all about his own needs. Unless he's not being selfish and he's actually being healthy. You know, I was taking this uh, online parenting course this week because sometimes you need to do that. And uh, it was talking about taking care of your own needs before you reach that point. And if you have kids, you know what that point is. And they said that the reason that blow-ups and arguments often happen is because parents haven't done a good job of taking care of their own needs uh, before reaching that point. And they said this line, that we're hoping that someone else will be able to recognize and validate our needs before we do that for ourselves and I felt a little poked at that moment. We're hoping that someone else will be able to recognize our needs before we do it for ourselves. You ever had one of those weeks where you work 50 to 60 hours, and it's January, which means all the germs, and you feel kind of crappy, and we had a snowstorm followed by a rainstorm, which meant your roof and your basement are messed up. And you're tired and you're kind of sick and you're cranky and you're just a little crusty and you just want some space and you told your friend that you would go help them with this non-urgent thing on your only day off for the week. And you don't want to. And so you're hoping that maybe they'll hear in your voice just how sick you are and how tired you are and that they'll tell you, you know what, you don't need to do it. It's okay, I'll do it by myself or we can delay it till another day. No worries, because you don't want to acknowledge your own needs in that moment. Jesus is teaching us something really important that we skip by a lot. He's telling us that you can't do what you can't do. You have limits. He had limits, you have limits. And you can't help somebody else if you're so far past those limits that you're leaking exhaust fuel all over the space. You just can't do it. Ruth Haley Barton says that soli- about solitude in these sorts of spaces does this, that it necessitates that we pull away from the demands of our lives, which is never easy. But I wonder if the reason we resist might have more to do with the anxiety that comes as we pull away from what we have allowed to define us. The reason we're resisting is because of the anxiety growing due to what we're allowing to define us. So friends, what are you allowing to define you? Are you reliable? Are you the homework helping parent? Are you the person who your friends call for a two hour chat when they're not feeling good? Are you the employee who on Thursday night is still at the office at 7 p.m., and your boss knows that and will come to you and say, Hey, I need you to do this for another couple of hours. What are you being defined by? Say it with me I am defined by my relationship with Jesus, not my relationship with everything else. Jesus, who's creator and savior, who's part of the Trinity, who's fully God and fully man, had limits. That means that you do too. And it's okay to acknowledge them. Jesus needed to grieve. Deeply needed to grieve. He needed more than just a couple hours, if we're being honest. He needed to process the miracles that had just happened and to recoup the energy that he had just lost from an insane day with 15,000 people grabbing at him. He needed to vent about the way that he had to keep correcting people every time that they said that he needed to be king and that they tried to misconstrue what it was that he was about. He needed a nap. Jesus just needed some silence. He needed some space to get away. Because he had limits. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that we're going to have times where we need noise and where we, have, where we need some silence. It says, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. <laughs> silence, though, is not just the absence of noise or talking. It's a space where we're listening, where we're allowing ourselves to listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And solitude and silence are inseparable, but I'm not talking about silence this week because Sarah's talking about it next week. So what I wanna do though, is just give us a little bit of value in this. And I wanna do that by having us watch uh, Ruth Haley Barton talk about how her life was transformed by these practices. So watch the screens.
1: (music) I was still aware of places where I was stuck, uh, places where I was still basically selfish, uh, places where I was driven by performance and wobbly in terms of my own identity. Um, There was unrest at the core of my being, and I had walked with God for a long time. And so someone who saw what I was going through suggested a spiritual director, and that spiritual director said to me one day in our times together, she said, Ruth, you're like a jar of river water, all shaken up and what you need is to sit still long enough so the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. And that moment was as significant as anything else that's ever happened in my spiritual life. For me, it all began with solitude and silence because I had been functioning in such a busy way, even in my Christian life. I am a pastor's kid, and so I had learned the traditional quiet time. I'd listened to preaching all my life. I'd been involved in all the small group models you could think of. I was all riled up on the inside, and that peace that passes understanding was elusive to me. I didn't know what it would be like to have that kind of peace as a characteristic of my soul. and so. Um, I was very compelled and called by that invitation and the idea that my soul could become like the place where the jar of river water had sat still long enough. I wanted it more than anything. I wanted the intimacy with God that I felt certain could come beyond all the words, that there was a kind of communion and intimacy for me and God that I was not yet experiencing it. And it came and it has come and it continues to come through the practice of solitude and silence.
0: Her spiritual director said, you're like a jar of river water that's all shaken up and what you need is it for it to sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. So, who wants Sarah to drink this jar of water? This was her idea, not mine. So don't don't start emailing me already. Uh, <laughs> this is what we look like most of the time. Honestly, life's crazy. We have all kinds of stuff coming at us. There's a lot of messiness and gross stuff in there too. Uh, You don't want to drink it. But solitude and silence gives us space and time for it to settle. So what we're going to do is we're going to give this and ourselves a week where we can let ourselves settle, let the water settle, and we'll see what it looks like next Sunday and we'll see if Sarah actually wants to drink the water <laughs> next week. Our kids were like, that's disgusting, Mom. I can't believe you'll do that. So that's the only reason that you need to come back next Sunday. There, there you go. Now you know. Uh, what happens when we settle? When Jesus settled, he was able to re engage after that point. And honestly, he walked into, I don't want to say it was worse because it was bad, you know, his cousin. But, like a pretty crazy situation, as soon as he walks out of that silent space. Look at what it says happens in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were far away from land, and a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. And at three in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! uh <laughs> thanks for the ghost reference there ross it just that's perfect uh but jesus spoke to them at once don't be afraid take courage i am here let me skip down him and peter have an encounter which is great but i'm skipping at verse 32 when they climbed back into the boat the wind stopped then the disciples worshiped him you really are the son of god they exclaimed after they had crossed the lake they landed and when the people recognized jesus guess what happened? The news of his arrival spread throughout the entire area and people were bringing all their sick to be healed and they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. So he gets away. He's able to process a little bit. He comes back and immediately it's a storm. Immediately it's crazy. Immediately everybody wants to be on him once again. And he was able to do it because the Father was calling him from loneliness to solitude. And because Jesus knew that solitude is a place where tremendous inner work is able to be done, but it takes time. Now, I don't know how much you've t- tried to spend time in silence and solitude, uh, but hopefully this will make you feel better. It always takes time. Anytime that I try and spend time with Jesus like that, say I'm taking 30 minutes, I can guarantee I'm going to spend 15 minutes just trying to shut my brain down. I'm going to spend at least five being the fidgetiest that I've ever been in my life. I'm not normally ADHD, except for when I sit down and try and spend time with Jesus. And then I'm all over the place. My brain goes crazy. My body's weird. Like, I don't know what's happening. Um, It takes a bit. When I spend 30 minutes with Jesus in that sort of space, I'm expecting that I'm going to spend 15 minutes trying to get myself to chill and then actually 15 good minutes with Jesus. And that's okay. That's what happens, right? That's our bodies. It's, it's, it's who we are. So remember the who, what, where, and why. Here's why I would take that 15 minutes to try and get to that spot because here's what happens in times of solitude. You stop believing your own press and what that means is that you begin to discover who you really are not who you're trying to convince people that you are in that space you begin to learn how to pay attention to what you should be paying attention to uh, i asked joshua chestnut shout out back row there you go uh, why he takes retreats regularly. And one of the things that he said was, usually I go in thinking I have a good take on where my heart is. And then I encounter where I actually am. It's hard and sobering as well as refreshing. In this space, we begin to learn to pay attention to what we actually need to pay attention to. Then you learn you can learn your limits and how to live within those limits. And we can grow our capacity for knowing ourselves, for knowing others, and for actually being able to see God's movement in your own life and in the lives of others. That's why this time can be so good. Jesus' actions reflected these things. If you go through and read this story again with these thoughts, you start to see how this was actually what was going on because he knew in his heart that I'm defined by my relationship with my father, not my relationship with anything else. So let's get down real quick just to the wear of solitude because some of you might be like, this is great, but I don't know how to do this. Here's a couple of thoughts. One is pay attention to the moments you already have. If you remember last week, if you were online, or the 25 of you who were in the room, good job, you made it through the snow, Uh, we have printed out and emailed uh, different uh, practices for us to do each week this month uh, to connect with Jesus. And the one for this week is to spend 30 minutes a day in silence without your phone, take a walk, sit and be, uh, whatever it is that would be good, pray for you. Just rest. But take that time every day. You have that time. It just may be that you need to not do something a little less meaningful that you were going to spend doing that time with. Uh, Create a quiet space in your house. I heard of um, some people that they have like quiet chairs in their house, which I think is kind of genius. And so everybody in the home knows that if somebody's sitting in that chair that they need space and that you are not allowed to talk to them, they won't stay there all day. That's kind of the rule, but they will get up. But for, while they're there, they need some space. Maybe you need a quiet chair in your house. If so, take it, own it, make that a thing. Uh, take a half day retreat, three to four hours. You can do three to four hours a month where you're spending time with Jesus. Maybe take another step, do a 24, 48 hour retreat, uh, maybe longer uh, if you're not sure where to go, we have somebody in our church who actually even has a retreat house in Vermont. We can hook you up. Let us know. Like, do this. Don't make excuses for why it's not possible. Do what brings you life in this. Because solitude is a place where I'm learning to be defined by my relationship with Jesus, not my relationship with everything else. Um, I asked another person in our church, Andrea Doherty, uh, why she's so disciplined about this. And uh, I loved her reply, so I'm going to read part of it to you. She said, I call my retreats my vacations with Jesus. There are times in which I immerse myself in prayer, scripture, and just silence. Being fully offline allows me to sink into the presence of God. In these times, I have a deep encounter with Jesus, a deeper faith, hope, and love. My experience when I return is a feeling of deep peace because they've been transformative, enabling me to be more compassionate and loving in ways I could never be on my own. During the time my husband was sick with cancer, I would go on retreats annually, and he valued what I was doing and experienced the grace I brought back from my time away. She said, I bring retreats home by sitting for 20 to 30 minutes in silence nearly every day because just being in the presence of our Lord is a gift. Uh, Andrea is a spiritual director and somebody that intentional would be a great person to walk beside you in your, in your walk with Jesus. So I'll give her that plug. Uh, but I appreciated her, her thoughts on that. So let me land this plane. Last story, what about mine? Uh, Facebook told me this morning, actually, ironically, uh, that uh, 12 years ago, on this day, I was on a retreat in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, um, which is funny because about a year earlier, I think I went on like the first retreat that I had ever been on um, by myself. And then I went once or twice other. My spiritual director suggested that I go. And uh, I decided, because I was kind of crazy, that I was going to sign up for a week-long silent retreat at a monastery, even though I had no experience with silence and had never done anything at a monastery before in my life. Um, So I show up at the Abbey of Gethsemane in the hills of Kentucky. It was really pretty, ready for my week-long of nothing. And it was brutal. It was really, really hard. Um, I kind of hated it, uh, but I also didn't want to talk to strangers because I'm an introvert. So I just like sucked it. There was like a space you could go to talk, and I avoided that space even though I wanted to talk. Uh, I was playing against myself a little bit in those moments, um, but I I just didn't have a regular practice. But through that week, I started to learn more about myself, and I started to learn something about Uh, how Jesus was calling me and what he was calling me towards. And I do feel like I was being forced to move from loneliness to solitude in that moment. And after that, I started taking regular retreats and I have for the past 13 years made it a regular part of my life. Uh, Not usually for a week or in a completely silent space. Uh, But what I didn't know in 2011 when I did that was that one year later, my life was gonna completely be uprooted. Uh, that I was going to move um, out of state for the first time, Um, that I was going to get married uh, a year after that, that I was going to be at seminary, graduate, then move to four different states in six years, Um, and that my life was just going to be really turned upside down. And I'm really grateful that solitude had already become a place of centering in the midst of loneliness because I lost Almost my entire community in that process. And without God kind of preparing me and giving me those spaces, it would have been worse than it even was. Jesus gives us these tools so that we can be prepared for what life brings at us so we can be healthy. We're going to worship, but I just want to invite you to try this out. And I don't expect everybody to say, woohoo, I'm in. But I do want to ask if you're willing to try this out in whatever way it looks like for you this week, this month, to throw up your hand and say, I'll try. I think I'm starting to see a little bit of value in this. Throw your hand up and just say, okay, Jesus, I'll try this practice. That's good. Let me just say, like Andrea said, if you're caretaking, this is a gift for you. If you're overwhelmed with life, it's a gift. And if you're feeling too good about yourself, you really need to go on a long retreat Um, because you need to focus on Jesus a little bit. Uh, You're not being selfish. You're learning how to be healthy because I am defined by my relationship with Jesus, not my relationship with everything else.